0: Hey, this is Jason Hubbard and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Today, we're actually going to go back into Romans and... Uh, I know it's Mother's Day, but we really wanted to keep going through Romans because we think it's so important that we kind of keep carrying on. And this message is personally very dear to me. Um, and I'll explain why I don't prefer to preach two weeks in a row. I kind of prefer to preach once every year. Um, but you know, um, God kind of keeps like telling me no more. And, um, for this particular time I was planning last week to preach Romans five and I was going to preach all of it. And then as I went through, I was like, you can't do that. That's a lot. Um, and I would be like, you know, word vomiting on you. (laughs) So, um, I told Jason that I need to preach this, this weekend. And, um, I really felt that in my heart because this is so near and dear to me. And, uh, Basically, I want to kind of give a little bit of my testimony, and then we're going to dive into what Romans says. So as a teenager, I had grown up in a, in a home where we went to church, and I actually really knew God. I had asked Jesus to be my Savior. I had actually been baptized twice because I didn't feel like the first time I did it when I was six was enough, so I did it again when I was like 10 um, or 11 and I really loved Jesus. I actually felt like I was going to be a pastor one day. I felt that call on my life. Um, but when I was 14, I started going through just this disintegration of my faith. And there were a lot of students at my high school that started to question everything that I believed. And they started to ask all these interrogating questions. Well, if God is so good, then why this? If God is so good, then why that? And one of my main questions was, if God is so good, why did he make sin inherent? Why is it something we're born with? because he could have just given us all this opportunity to make our own decision and not made it something that got passed down from Adam to person to person and just multiplied throughout the earth. Why would he, if he's so loving, why wouldn't he give me the choice? Why do I have to be born with this? And I could not get an answer. And you know, I think that in church, we should be a little more honest about our questions because the questions are valid and there's answers in the word of God. And what I didn't get when I was 14, I got later when I was 20. And so I want to communicate that with you guys today because this question right here, this one alone is probably what completely ripped my heart away from God. I, I was, um, I had friends that were like sin was so entrenched in them and they were so, um, angry at God that, that, that that sin was there, and they couldn't like figure it out, and it made me just go, well, he can't, he probably isn't that good then. He just like gave up on all of us with Adam. So why did he do that? Um, and I really tried asking these questions and I couldn't, I don't know if it was that I couldn't receive it or if it was that the other, the people I was asking didn't know the answer. I'm not totally sure, but I didn't get the answers I was looking for. So I walked away from God for a good five years. I, I truly, um, when Paul says I'm the worst of the worst, that's how I feel about that season of my life. Um, because I just turned completely from him, and I decided he wasn't worth following at all for any reason, and I just didn't know his deep love for us and i couldn't i couldn't figure it out and so um, when I was twenty years old, I got invited to a church service, and it was the first time I went to church in five years, and uh, the pastor um, a message that, that totally transformed my life, and, and I can explain that a different time. That's not really the point of this one, but three months later, I found myself at Bible College, and you have to know that if a question leads you away from God, um, if you don't have the answer to it, it's going to still be there, even when you come back to him and decide that you're going to follow him. So deep in my heart, and like I would say like deep in my soul, I was wrestling with God still, just this goodness, but is he really good because he made us all sinful? Like he just, he cursed everybody because of Adam. And why would he do that? Why would he make it so that I have to wrestle against sin? And I I was putting all the blame on him. And, um, so I sat in Roman's class at PBC at Portland Bible College, um, which Jason's dad actually teaches. And this is long before Jason and I got together. But um, I was sitting in the class one day, and his dad started um, teaching us on Romans 5. And something in me clicked. And I said, oh, my word. That's, that's the answer. That's the answer. And I went on to go and sob in his dad's office for about three hours. Um <laughs> literally sitting across the desk from his dad asking all the questions I could possibly ask and and just sobbing the whole time realizing how much God loved me and loved the human race like there's nothing that that he there's no one that he doesn't truly love with with all that he has and having that revelation transformed me and I hope that I can somehow communicate this in the way that it changed me um I'm I just really pray that God would be able to give me the grace to be able to communicate it because I believe that it can be transformative for us as a church in the sense of knowing the answer to this question helps us answer those that are coming in and finding Jesus for the first time because they're going to come in with questions. And I believe that our church is not called to reach people just people who are already in church, but people who are not, they don't walk with God. They don't know Jesus. They never met him before. That's what our church is called to. So we have to have answers to these questions. We have to be able to, to say, actually, you know what? Let's go to Romans I know where that's at. I can help you. I can impart this to you. I can show you in the word of God what it says. And uh, so we're going to start in Romans 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. So we see at this, the very beginning of this verse here that, All are born in sin and sentenced to death through Adam. So we've already talked about that. I've already kind of belabored that. But we are born into a world without the presence of God with us. We just we don't have the Shekinah glory with us when we're born, because we're born in sin. The intimate relationship with God was so broken and, it's, and we've become confused and lonely. We are alone without Jesus. He passed, Adam has passed his rebellious spirit on to his children so that in each of us sin reigns and we are enslaved. That's what happens. We're enslaved to sin from the moment we're born. It's not like we've developed this over time. It's truly we are enslaved and bound to sin from the moment we're born. The rebellion has infected the very flesh of our bodies, so we die. We end up dying at some point. Not upon birth, but, you know, we all, I think we all know that at some point we die. Um, If you have questions on that, ask Jason. (laughs) <laughs> um, so we all are, are put into this bondage, this enslavement to sin because of what Adam did. It all goes back to, you know, where, where it's passed down, it's inherited. We're all inheriting sin. Then, um, I want to define sin actually. So sin defined, because there, in this next section that I'm going to read, uh, Paul uses three different words for sin. There are three different Greek words that he actually uses for sin. So I wanted to find those three words for us before we read the passage so you can listen for them. Um, the first one is translated as sin, and it's the Greek word hamartia. And I should have looked up how to say that. But it basically means an inward disposition of rebellion against God arising out of an exaltation of self. I'm gonna say that one more time. It's an inward disposition of rebellion against God arising out of an exaltation of self. So we wanna exalt ourselves naturally and we don't want to follow God. We wanna rebel against him. That's what our flesh, our bodies would be inclined to do. That's what that word sin is. The second word is transgressions. It's the Greek word parabasis, And it means a willful violation of a known law. So transgression wouldn't have been something they would have had in the Bible prior to the law of Moses. Because the law came and a transgression is when you willfully go against the law. And then the last one is misstep. And they don't actually translate it to misstep very much. I think they translate it to sin in the version that I used. But... Um, it's the word paratoma, and it's in verse 16. So um, when I get there, if you're reading along with us, you can look for verse 16 when it uses the word sin. That's what this one is, and it's a false step or a deviation from truth. So it's like making a, a misstep and going towards falsehood, not towards truth, okay? So I'm gonna read Romans 5:12 through 18, and um, actually, no, it's not 12 through 18, I canceled out part of that, so it's probably like 13 or 14. Um, It should be on the screens, though. But the gift of God is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ. The gift is not like the one man's sin because from one sin came the judgment resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift resulting in justification. Since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, and this is the key for us, how much more will those who receive the overflow and grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then... As through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is life-giving justification for everyone. Yes, thank you, God. What I realized in that class at PBC that day was that it was by his grace and mercy that he made sin inherent, Because if by one man we sin, by one man we're saved. Praise God, because he didn't have to send a billion sacrifices, he sent one. And it was his own son, and it made atonement for all. And anyone that would turn to him, he made atonement for them. He said, you know what, I'm gonna condemn all so that I can save all all. I want to I want to condemn everyone because if I make it inherent, everyone's going to be born into this and then I can in my grace and my mercy offer to everyone this grace. Amen. Now, there is there is a distinction here. The the one is genetic. It's passed down no matter what. And then with Jesus, it's not automatic. It's not passed down genetically physically. It's actually a spiritual descendant. So you have to access it by faith. It's not, you don't become Jesus' descendant just because Jesus died on the cross. You have to become his descendant because you believe by faith. So that's the distinction. Does that make sense to everyone? Adam passed on a rebellious spirit to his physical descendants, but Christ passed on his own righteousness to his spiritual descendants. It's a beautiful truth for us and we can, we can trust him because of this. He chose to set it up this way so that he could save all all that that he could. His will is that all would be saved. That doesn't always happen because people can still reject him. We still have choice. We still can say, I don't want you and turn away from him, but we have choice. We have the ability to say, come and live in me. I have faith in you. I wanna be your spiritual descendant. And in that place, I stand justified and I stand with you sanctified. You're sanctifying me. You're doing the work. You're making me clean. You're making me whole. And so uh, that is what Jesus did for us. The gift of righteousness for those who believe. Jesus' one righteous act is unlike Adam's. Oh, I think I actually already did that part. Sorry. I moved it down and I was like, I preached that already. Um, (laughs) Another great question that I had um, as I was kind of processing was why would God give the law? Like if it's going to bring trespass, why would he give the law? What would be the point of having the law if he knows it's going to be bring trespass? So we're going to read um, verses 20 through 21 and then talk about what the law does. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Oh my gosh. So God brought the law to increase the trespass? But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what the law does, it turns our missteps, our ignorant mistakes, into transgressions. That is deliberate disobedience and increases our guilt. So the law actually comes and increases guilt and makes us so aware that we are misstepping. We are not doing what God wanted. It actually stirs rebellion because think about it. When somebody says, don't do that, what do you want to do? Let's all be honest. <laughs> we want to do it. When somebody says, you, you shouldn't do that, it's like, oh, but can I just, can I try a little bit? No. Um, it exposes the rebellion, the pride and selfishness in our hearts so that we can recognize that we need God's grace. Before this, people only had their conscience and the, the witness of creation to show them what was right and wrong before the law came to the Israelites. But once the law of Moses arrived, those who heard it were forced to make a decision. Will I obey the Lord or not? Will I follow him or will I not? So knowledge increased their moral accountability. All of a sudden they're they're accountable to the law. They're accountable and they can see. Sin becomes obvious instead of undetected. Ignorance becomes deliberate sin. This was exactly the result God desired and and why he sent the law in the first place. He wanted humans to see their lives from his perspective. He wanted to show us how much sin and rebellion is actually present. It's not to shame us, but to show us how desperately we need his mercy. Without the law, we have no idea how much we need him. Because on paper, I'm doing a great job look at me, I'm doing so good. I live well, I do well. But then the law comes and it reveals to me that I am in transgression. All the undetected things I was doing before are now right in my face like a mirror. And I can see clearly, I am, I am a mess. And without his mercy, I am done for. It came so that we could know how desperately we need him. So what does this mean for us and this war within us? That we as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, helping us to learn to live righteously, but we still live in these fleshly bodies that still desire and, and are anchored towards sin. They like want to like, make us rebel. So we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. We need to learn how to fall and, and, and walk in the Spirit and learn how to hear His voice and then allow Him to transform us. So let's, get, look, let's look first at how God made us. Um, Paul in 1 Thessalonians basically says that God made us with a spirit, soul, and body. And those are actually, I believe, on the slides. I'm not sure if they're in your notes. But the, the God made our physical bodies. He made our soul, which is the biological life which animates our bodies. So it's like the, the thing in us. And then our spirit. Human spirit, which is our immortal personality made in the image of God. So that like him, we have intellect, will, and emotions. So we have this physical body, the soul, and then also the human spirit. So those are the three things that he put in us as humans. And so this is going to help us, I promise. I know that's kind of an anecdote, but I promise it's going to bring it all together in just a second. So we have this life through Christ. What God has done by sentencing his son to the cross and raising him from the dead rescues us in each of these three areas. He rescues us judicially. We are now found innocent in God's eyes. We no longer are found to be guilty of sin. We're no longer found to be um, in punishment of sin. Sin was punished already for us, so we no longer have to judicially come before the Lord and be punished. Spiritually, we repent of our rebellion, and our spirit submits to God. Our spirit begins to completely submit to him, and we live in that way. The third one is physically. Until the resurrection, our bodies will not fully be uh, surrendered or, uh, like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of the word, um, it will not fully be renewed. That's the word. Our bodies will not physically fully be renewed until Christ comes again. So we still have our physical bodies, which would lean toward sin and flesh. And we have our spirit, which says, come towards God. So we have this raging war within us from the body and then the spirit. And it's, it's making war in our hearts. And Paul actually talks about this, and he talks about it a lot in Galatians um, and we have to, we kind of, it gives us an idea of how to start to walk by the Spirit. So the war within, I'm, I'm sorry, I got a little lost in my notes here. Um, by locating the source of Adam's rebellious tendency in the flesh or the body of a born-again believer, Paul is saying that we... Our, our sin is no longer present in our spirit. So we have sin in our flesh, but we don't have it in our spirit. So we're, we're spiritually, we can begin to draw near to God and we don't have to like be so hard on our flesh in the sense of it's gonna always still war with us. So we make it submit to the spirit. We make our flesh submit to the spirit. The War Within, Galatians 5, 16 through 18. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires." In Galatians chapter 5, Paul shrinks three full chapters of Romans down into like a few verses. So Galatians 24 matches with Romans 6. It's my spirit repents. So our spirit actually turns from sin and says, I'm going to put my faith in God. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus as my Savior. And I'm going to believe that God sent him as his son to die on the cross for me. My spirit's going to repent and turn towards Jesus as the Savior And that's Romans 6 or Galatians 5.24. So those two go together. My spirit tries to control my body and fails. That's Galatians 5.17 and Romans 7. So we're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. But the the spirit tries to control the body and fails. But Galatians 5.16 and Romans 8. My spirit learns to regularly turn to the Holy Spirit for help. So that is the Christian walk. I think when we become new Christians, what happens is we we start to kind of have this wrestle, right? And it's like a lot of times the flesh wins. The flesh wins out and it's like, oh my goodness. And we we get shame and condemnation comes and it tries to squash us and push us down. And then uh, we learn, I'm gonna turn to the Holy Spirit for help. I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood here. I'm actually res- wrestling about against principalities and powers. So I'm gonna turn to the Holy Spirit and allow him to help me, allow him to empower me to walk the life that God is asking me to walk. I'm not gonna walk by my flesh. I'm gonna walk by him. And so the truth that Paul shows us is so humbling and so freeing. It's humbling to realize that our best intentions were always going to be sinful. Our best intentions were our flesh is flesh. It's sinful flesh, and we won't see a renewed body, a regenerated body, until we we meet Christ when He comes. But what we do have is the Holy Spirit in us, and as we turn to Him every time, we make it practice. We go, you know what? I fell down. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to turn to You. I made a misstep. I started following a non-truth. I I started believing a lie. I'm going to I'm going to make an intentional decision to turn to the Holy Spirit. And as we grow in our Christian walk, hopefully we'll be faster and faster and faster at doing that. The law doesn't come to condemn. It comes to expose our great need for him. It's not meant to push us down and make us condemned and feel shame and guilt and condemnation. It's actually there to help us go, I need you so much. There's no way I can do this on my own. I am a complete mess without you. But praise God, he sent his son. Praise God, he gave us a way out. Praise God, he didn't leave us in our sin and our shame and our guilt and condemnation. But he actually came and he said, hey, I love you. Come to me. Come to me. Don't keep trying to do this on your own. And I think that we do a huge disservice when we when we are talking with one another, you know. And I don't I'm not saying we do this here, okay? I'm just saying in the Christian world, um, you know, it's like we we start to try to like um, look good on the outside when we show up to church. I'm gonna look pretty. I'm gonna look like everything's cool. But at home. Um, I don't feel Christ-filled, I don't feel Holy Spirit-led, I feel like garbage, and I treat everybody like garbage, because that's how I feel, and we have this thing going on, and what the invitation is, is hey, if that's where you're at, if it's try to look pretty on Sunday, and have it all together on Sunday, here's the invitation, you don't have to do that, you don't have to do that we actually have a a God that wants to help you. He doesn't just save you, but he wants to walk with you by the spirit and enable you, empower you to do things that you naturally cannot do. I think about some of the things that I walked out of when I first got saved. I I was in a sorority. I was the vice president of the sorority at the time. And you can just imagine what was happening in my life, okay? Um, (laughs) Okay. I'll just let you dream up whatever you want. Um, (laughs) But I truly, um, I remember this wrestle, this great wrestle in my flesh of like, but this is the way I've been living. And I kind of desire to keep living that way. But as I went, every party I went to, it felt more and more empty. Not because of what I was doing, not because I suddenly was like so awesome and good. No, it was the spirit at work in me. The spirit was saying, Ellie, I have so much more for you. You don't have to go get drunk and drink until you can't remember anymore. You can just like come to me and let me deal with all those feelings that you have of rejection and hurt and pain. You can bring them to me because I am good and I will heal you and I will make you whole. And that's the offer of the Lord. The transgressions are there, but they, they, they show us that he's willing to help us. He loves you so much and he has so much for you. And as you turn to him and ask for help, he will send his spirit to help you. And we can be overcomers in all those areas. And you know, there, there is this wrestle, but I believe that God wants to empower his people through the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh, to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. And we can do that as a church. We can begin to walk in that way. When there's a misstep, don't keep misstepping because you're afraid of the wrath of God. Remember from last week, we are standing in justification. We don't have to worry about that. So we know we're justified. So we can immediately turn to him and trust that he loves us and his grace is there. But we need to repent. We need to turn to him and ask him for help. Did this, did this make sense to anybody? Yeah. Helpful? Okay. Um, I want to make an opportunity. If you are here and you have never actually, like, turned your life to God, you've never said, Jesus, come and be my personal Lord and Savior. Come and wash away all my sins. Make me new. If you've never done that before and you're here and you're like, I want to I take a first step. I want to make Jesus my Savior. I want to give you an opportunity because his blood on the cross was shed so that all our sins, every misstep, every transgression against the law of God, everything that we've ever done can be cleansed and wiped away so that we are, we are literally standing like before him unashamed. We're righteous in his eyes. And so and that means that we have right standing righteousness just means we have right standing with God. And we have that from Jesus. So if you want to make that decision today, it starts with a prayer. We just begin by saying, God, I I come to you and I know and I recognize that I probably haven't lived the way that, that you would say I should live. But I ask that your son would come and save me. And, cleanse me. and so we're going to pray a prayer together. And, and I would just invite you, pray that prayer with us. We all pray in here together. Um, you don't have to pray it over and over again. There's no need to keep saying the sinner's prayer is what we would call it. There's no need to keep doing that. But what we do is it's a reminder for us that our salvation is in God. And we are putting our faith and trust in him. And the work on the cross and not in ourselves. And so we all pray it together. Um, also because um, we want to do this with you. This is not just a you-by-yourself journey. The Christian walk is actually meant to be walked together. And so we want to invite you into what we would call family. It's not just like, well, I'm glad that you asked Jesus into your heart and I'll go and be blessed. It's actually, hey, come, we want to love you and show you the love and grace of God because it's not just a, a one moment thing. It's a lifetime of his grace, a lifetime of his mercy. Every time that I have a misstep as a mom, like if I just totally missed it, I go to him and I say, Lord, have your way in me. Help me. Change me. Renew my mind. Help me to think differently and he does that for me. So it's a great life with him. So if you want to do that you can pray with me now. Dear Jesus I come before you and I ask you to come and cleanse my sins I recognize that I've lived in rebellion against you and I ask you to change me, make me new, draw me to you, help me to walk in your ways and live my life in faith with you. I trust you, Lord, and I put my life in your hands. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for shedding your blood so that I can have new life in you. Amen.